0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Monclova Baptist Church podcast. We're thankful that you joined us today. Hey, if you would do us a favor at the end of this episode, make sure that you follow us on our social, Instagram and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell button so that you get notified every time that we post new content. If you also want to stay connected with us beyond Sunday morning, make sure that you download the MRBC app on the Google Play Store or the App Store. Now let's dive in. I'm glad that you're here this morning. Pastor was already planning on being away today. He asked me to speak in his absence. And so we're gonna study the book of Ruth chapter number one. So if you would turn to Ruth chapter number one, if you're new to church or if you've never turned to the book of Ruth, it's in the Old Testament. You can go through the first five, six books of the Bible. And then on verse number seven, you'll find the book of Ruth. Let me just welcome you one more time. If you don't know me, some of you are guests today. My name's Richard, I'm one of the pastors here and I am just thankful the Lord is using our church to reach people all over this city and all over the world. How many of you have loved, like just absolutely loved the outreach events the last couple of months? Can we say amen to that? Can we praise the Lord for that this morning? It was just so good this morning to see on that video all that God's done through our property and through our outreach efforts. We have passed out uh, invitations to church. We've passed out gospel tracts. The last two Sundays, there's been people that have come to service and have trusted Christ as their savior at the end of the service. And there was been baptisms week after week for the last several weeks. And as we look forward to November, we are gonna be able to give pies to all of our neighbors. How many of you gave a pie to your neighbor last year? Look at these hands all around, gave a pie to your neighbor last year. Wednesday night, we were in service and there was a man here Wednesday night sitting right over here. And last November, he got a pie delivered by his neighbor. And then he started coming to church, he got saved. He was baptized last winter and he's been coming to our Wednesday night Bible study on a regular basis. So this works folks, doing what God says to do works. Can you say amen to that? And so what we wanna do this uh, Thanksgiving, uh, Pastor Dan said it on the video there, we wanna give out these pies. If you wanna give towards that, last year several of you were very generous in giving towards that. You can do so even starting today on your envelope, just write Thanksgiving pie outreach or Thanksgiving pies, we'll know where that goes. Um, Or if you give online, there's a button there this week that says pie outreach 2023 or Thanksgiving outreach 2023. So you can give to that starting today. And uh, the kids are having a fall festival in the gym. I don't think they've lost any of them yet, and so we are going to just have a good time around the Word of God. Are you in Ruth chapter number one? Say amen if you are. Amen. Amen. In Ruth chapter number one, we see a story unfold between a family and two women from the land of Moab. In sequence, Ruth chapter number one, the seventh book of the Bible, it comes after The first five, which we sometimes call the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And that really covers the exodus of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. It covers creation and it covers the reign of Moses as he's taking people to the promised land. And then we get to the book of Joshua, and Joshua is now the new leader on the scene. And now Joshua is bringing the people into the promised land. And then Israel, in the book of Judges, starts to go through a cycle. And if you've been in Sunday school any amount of time, you've probably heard this cycle, that Israel was a land of sin. And then as they were a land of sin, they needed somebody to help them get out of sin. And so God would provide them a judge. And the judge would come, and the land would have prosperity for a time. And then after they had prosperity for a time, they'd go back into a time of sin. And then God would have to send judgment through a judge once again. And they were in this perpetual cycle of sin and success and sin and success. And as they're in this cycle, we have this beautiful story in the book of Ruth. It's a small book, just four chapters, but there is so much packed in this book. Those of you that like romance novels, the book of Ruth is for you. Um, If you like chick flicks, the book of Ruth is for you. It has everything, it has the crying, it has the sorrow, it has the heartbreak, it has the death, it has the disappointment, but it also has at the end, the victory. And so in the book of Ruth today, we're just gonna unpack the first chapter very quickly. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through it verse by verse, and then at the end of it, we're going to put some application to our life this week. And so like I said at the beginning, if you're new, let me just tell you a little bit about our church. We believe the Bible at this church. We don't believe man's opinion. We believe the Bible. We believe the truth of the Word of God is sufficient for all life and practice. And so today, as we look at the Word of God, as we study it together, we can believe the things that are in it to be true. And so in Ruth chapter number one, the Bible says this in the verse number one, it says, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So I just told you about the time of judges. And so we pick up in the middle of the time of the judges and there was a family that was living in the town of Bethlehem. Now, we all know Bethlehem. In fact, in just a few short weeks, if you didn't know, 52 days from now is Christmas. Amen? There was some tension there. Um, 52 days from now, am I right? Thing. 52 days from now is Christmas. And um, in just a few weeks, we're going to start singing, O little town of Bethlehem, how still he sees me live. And Bethlehem is, is a, a place where we know that Jesus was born. Right, and, and in our culture today, we often look at Bethlehem from the place where, oh, that was a beautiful first night and the star over Bethlehem and the manger and you know the shepherds that came and it's a beautiful place. But here in this time, a time of Judges, Bethlehem would have been a small city, a bustling city. It would have been a blessed city. In fact, uh, the name Bethlehem literally means house of bread. And so this house of bread, this place of blessing, Judah, where all of these people in our story that began our story lived, there was a famine. A famine, simply a time where they couldn't get food, they had no meals to eat, people were going hungry. Nothing that we have ever experienced, probably any of us in our lifetime, and Lord willing, we never will. But they were in a famine, so they were in a time of great destruction, they were in a time where things were unknown about the future. And all of us have been in those times at one point or another. We've been in a time where we're not really sure what the next step is. We're not really sure we have a crisis. We're not really sure how to get out of the crisis. And so what we do oftentimes is we try to say, we're gonna figure this thing out and we're gonna do it and we're gonna make the most sense of it. And that's exactly what happened here in our story. Our family says, okay, we have a famine in Bethlehem. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna pick up our family, we're gonna pack up all of our things, and we're gonna go to the town of Moab. Now in the Old Testament, Moab began in Genesis 19. And in Genesis 19, we have a guy named Lot. And if you remember, Lot was not a great guy. In fact, if you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, that might ring a bell to you. There was a bad time here in Genesis 19. And then Genesis 19 is the inception of the Moabites. And the Moabites were always people that were people of sin and destruction. In fact, if you follow their story through the Old Testament, you know this, that the Moabites were people that literally sent false prophets to curse the land of Israel and to curse the Jews. And they sent this false prophet over and over and over again. And God protected the people of Israel like he always will. And in that time, he killed 24,000 of the people of Moab. And they said, okay, so what are we gonna do now? So they started to send the young ladies of Moab to go and seduce the Israeli men. And they started to go and, and they started to say, well, if we can't beat them, we'll just have to, have to seduce them into sin. And so that will take them away. And so the Moabite women were not good women. They were women that were going in and trying to thwart the plan. And they were a town that was marked by sin, by destruction and by nothing that somebody who was from a land of promise should be going to. But yet, pragmatically, this father in the story said, I'm in a crisis. I've got to get out of the crisis. It doesn't matter what it takes to get out of the crisis. I'm just going to get out of here. I'm going to go to a place where they had food, but they had no business being there. And so they go to this land of Moab. Now we meet the characters in the story in verse number two. It says this, it says, and the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of their two sons was Malon and Chilion, Ephrites of Bethlehem, Judah. They were born, they were people of Bethlehem. And they came into the country of Moab and they continued there. So they started to live there. And in verses three, four, and five, a lot is about to happen. So in verse number three, we have this big news. They just got to this new land They just got to a place where they didn't know where they were. They were in a brand new country, but at least they had food. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And then they took them wives of the women of Moab. And the name was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about 10 years. And then Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Now, we just read that in a span of 60 seconds, but the original writers, as they were reading this to the people, think about how they would have been explaining this story. Ten years had passed, and in this ten years, they had left their land of promise. They had gone to a land of sin. As they get to the land of sin, the husband, the leader of the home, he dies. And so now, there's these two young men, Malon and Chilion, and their mother, and at that time, I know, I know today that's like, oh, that, that's no big deal. It's just a, a single mom and her two kids. But at the time, that was very uncommon. And so this single mom and her two kids, she's trying to raise these two kids. They're in the land of Moab. They're trying to just make it. And they come of age and as they come of age, they now marry these two Moabitess women and the two Moabitess women now become part of their family. And in 10 years, they go by and they dwell together. And then after 10 years, when maybe hope was just around the corner and maybe they thought, well, maybe things are getting a little bit better. And maybe they thought, well, maybe this wasn't such a bad idea after all, Mainlon and Chilion now die. So now the woman is sitting in a land where she doesn't know anyone, where she's not comfortable, where she has never been before 10 years prior, and she's completely alone except for her two daughters-in-law. She's at a very low point in our story. God had, you'll see later on that she says that God has taken everything from her. She's left hopeless. But then in verse number six, we see this, that She starts to pick herself up because she's now at the place where she has no family. She has nobody to turn to. So what is she going to do? In verse number six, we see that she arose and her daughter-in-law and she, that she might return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. So basically she heard good news from the town of Bethlehem, wherefore she went forth of Wherefore, she went forth with her daughter-in-law and they went into the way to return unto the land of Bethlehem, Judah. Now, think about what she must be thinking. 10 years she left. Moab was a land that the Bethlehem people knew was not a place where they should be. But yet she went anyway. And then not only did did they leave and they go there, they married people from there, people they should have never married. And now she's going back. And the shame and the guilt that she must have started to feel as she leaves the town of Moab. And she looks at these two daughters-in-law and she's like, I'm about to go into a place where I know a lot of people. And as soon as they see these Moabite women, they're going to know how terrible my last 10 years have been. You ever been in a place like that? How many of you go to a high school reunion? Anybody done that before? Those are the most awkward things in the entire, if you like high school reunions, I'm thankful for you, but they're super awkward. In high, how many of you are proud of the person you were when you were 15? Good. None of you raised your, well, some of you raised your hand. Good. Man, I can't imagine sometimes, I was just talking to somebody the other day about college and how even in college, like people just are different people. And you see somebody 10 years later and you're like, were you the same? You did do that prank in the dorm. Yeah, that was you. Okay, you're, you're a successful CEO with beautiful children now. I never expected that, right? And so, this is where Naomi's now living. She's going back and she's like, what is gonna happen? These people are about to see me. What is gonna happen? So she comes up with a plan. She looks at her daughters-in-law and she says this, Naomi said unto them, both to her daughters-in-law, go, just go away, return to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you. Why? Because you've dealt kindly with me and with the dead. And the Lord grants you in that ye might find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. There's your drama right there in those verses. There was this conversation between these three women, and they realized that things are never going to be the same. Now, I grew up with three sisters, and they're all about 18 months apart, except for the youngest. She's about three years younger than the rest of them. But when the three of them get bad news and they realize disappointment together, it's always emotional. It's always difficult. And I've seen them cry together. And so I can only imagine in this story, these three women, as they realize life's never gonna be the same, the amount of emotion and heartbreak and difficulty and disappointment that they must be feeling in this moment. And those three women look at each other and they're like, okay, what are we going to do? And so in verse number 10, they says, and they said unto her, surely, no, no, Naomi, surely we'll return with you to your people. And Naomi said, stop, no, turn again, my daughters. And she starts to make a case for why they should not go back. She says, look, my daughters, why will you go with me and there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way for I am too old to have a husband. And she says this, if I should say, I have hope. If I should say that I have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sake that the hand of the Lord, listen, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So Naomi says, look guys, even if I got married tonight and I had a child in nine months, you're not going to wait 18 years for my sons to grow up and you marry them. There's no way that's going to happen. I have nothing to give you. But at the end of those five, three verses there, she says something very important for us to see. She says that the hand of the Lord has gone out against her. Now I want you to see the shift in Naomi's heart right now. She's going back to the land of promise. She's going back to the place where her relationship with God and, her, and, her, and his people was good. And she's starting to realize, I did wrong. I should have never left. The Lord has not blessed me. I have nothing to give anyone. And she comes to this place and now she's telling her daughters-in-law, please don't make me your responsibility. Just go back to your home. And in verse number 14, we see their response. So they lifted up their voice and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. So Orpah leaves. Orpah decides her duty is done. She's done everything she can for her mother-in-law. There's nothing more that she can help her with. She leaves. But Ruth, clave unto her. Those five words mean so much to Naomi. That word clave, you see it in Genesis chapter number three, when God is setting up his plan for marriage. And he says this, he says, the husband or a man should leave his father and mother and he should cleave unto his wife and they too should be one. That's God's plan for marriage, by the way. A man should leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and those two should be one. That word cleave means to strongly hold to, and then he goes on in, verse, in Genesis 3 and says, and to be one together. So that word cleave literally means a coming together as one. There should be nothing else between them they are together forever and nothing can separate them and the the language that the writer uses when he says that ruth clave unto naomi it was not just well you know what naomi i've kind of wanted to go to bethlehem and check things out so yeah i'll i'll go with you it was not well naomi i don't have any family back there so i'll i'll go with you it was not you know naomi i feel bad for you so so i'm going to stay with you to make sure that you're okay No, this was an undying devotion to what she knew God was calling her to. And she was calling her to Naomi. And she clave unto Naomi. And she was trying to demonstrate the fact that, look, nothing is going to stop me from being by your side. But it still wasn't good enough for Naomi. She was kind of happy, relieved that Orpah left. And then in verse 15, we see her last plea to Ruth. So in verse 15, she says this, and she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return now after thy sister-in-law. Now, I want you to see how far gone Naomi is before I give you the great news in the story, okay? Remember, she already said that the Lord's hand had gone away from her. It had already gone out against her. She realized that the Lord had not dealt well with her because of her own sin and her own mistakes, But now she was completely unrecognizable as a follower of the Lord. Why? Because she was giving Ruth the advice to say, look, don't even worry about coming with me. Not only just your family's there, but look, Ruth, listen, your gods are also there. She was at a place where she was telling Ruth, your gods are better than anything in Bethlehem. And just 10 years prior, Naomi would have never uttered those words to anybody, especially a Moabite. And she's at this place and she's like, don't don't just come with me, don't just come to my land, go back to your gods. Because of the decisions of Elimelech, because of the decisions of Naomi, because of the decisions of that family, 10 years passed and they're a completely different family than they ever expected to be and i think there is something to pause here and realize that there are power there is much power in the decisions we make as a family every single day we are like these people often aren't we there's famine in our lives maybe not by food but maybe finances there's unknown in our life often, isn't there, where we don't know how the future is going to turn out, we don't know how the problem's going to get solved, we don't know how the diagnosis is going to turn, and we don't know if she or he is going to make it. We don't know if our marriage is going to be restored. And so often what we do is, is we begin to make decisions like Elimelech made. We make pragmatic decisions in order to make our life better. And here's what we do. We make those decisions at the cost of what we know God has called us to. And so we make decisions based upon how we spend our time. We look at other families and we say, man, we're tired. And oftentimes we'll look at other families and we'll say, man, wouldn't it be nice? And and listen, I'm a pastor and I've thought this once, maybe twice in my life. Wouldn't it be nice to sleep in on Sunday? Wouldn't, Wouldn't it be nice to take a long weekend and just get away, wouldn't it be nice? And, and you know, those thoughts come and we look at, and then we start looking at other families. We scroll through our social feed and we listen, look at all the stories and we hear all the things that happened over the weekend at work. And we're like, man, on Sunday, it would have been nice to be able to do those things. And so we start making decisions for our family based upon our feelings. And we make decisions for our family based upon our finances as well and we look at our finances and we say man if we could just give a little bit, a little less over here we could probably put a little more in the boat fund and we could just give a little less over here and we could maybe build a little bit of a bigger home or we could maybe have a third car or a second car or whatever it might be because we just we're going to give a little bit less over here to give a little bit more over here why cuz it just makes sense to us in the moment cuz we we need something right Those are just two simple examples, but we could go on and on and on and on again this morning about how our life starts with little decisions, and those little decisions lead us to a place where those decisions take us to a place where we never thought we would be. Listen, my friend, I'm not here this morning to judge any person, but I will say in my own life, I've seen friends and I've seen people that I, I grew up with. And I saw them at 14, I saw them at 15, I saw them at 16, I saw them at 20. And I saw the decisions they made in their life and the person they are now. If you would have asked them 10, 15 years ago, did you expect to be in prison for that amount of time? Did you expect to have a failed marriage? Did you expect to become addicted to those things? They would have said, no, I never expected that. But one day I made a decision. And that decision led me to another decision, to another decision, to another decision. And now they're at a place where like Naomi in our story, they're completely unrecognizable. And sin does that to us. Sin takes us, they used to have an old preacher that said it this way, sin takes you farther than it wanted you to go. It keeps you longer than you wanted to stay and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And there's a lot of truth to that in sin. And at the beginning, it might seem so small. Elimelech's like, I got a problem, God. I'm not going to consult you. I know there's food in Moab. I'm just going to go to Moab. And at least this problem is taken care of. But we forgot that all of this laundry list of things that happened in the land of Moab. And so you take your family to a place where there was judgment and sin and seduction and immorality. Why? So that your belly is full. But we do the same thing. We're like, we're feeling empty. What what can make us feel better? Well, we, you know, we just, let's go spend some money. It'll make us feel better. Let's go and do something and just take some time and it'll just make us feel better. And all those things are great. Don't get me wrong. Everybody needs to do it. But can I tell you this? Perpetually, over and over in your life, the only thing that can fill you and keep you full is the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ through his word. No moment of general satisfaction, whether it be for a year or 10, will ever leave you feeling very full at the end of your life. Only Jesus can. And some of you, today are searching and you've made decisions and you know you're not in a good place. And you're like, what am I doing wrong? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, there was a choice several years ago and you have been reaping the consequences of that choice over and over and over again. Maybe today's the day to say, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop doing that thing because I don't want to be unrecognizable. So she goes on and she says this. She says, please go back to your gods. Return thou hither to thy sister-in-law. Now in verse 16, 17, and 18, there is some of the most beautiful poetry in all of the Old Testament. In fact, oftentimes we'll see some of this written out and placed on a wall in a home or sometimes this read at a wedding or at some kind of special event to show the amount of devotion that two people have to one another. And so Ruth comes to Naomi and she looks Naomi in the eye and she says this to her. She says, and Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee. Stop asking me to go is basically what she's saying. Entreat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee. And then she gives this oration to Naomi. And she says, Look, Naomi, where thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die. There will I be buried, and the Lord do so to me. And more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Man, the devotion in this is amazing. But I want you to understand how how um, how powerful this is. Because this is not a husband to a wife. This is not a mom to a kid. This is a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. This is not what this message is about, okay? But this in this story is a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. And as these people are reading it, for the first time, they're like, What is she doing? Can you imagine? She's like, you guys have known each other for just a span of years. There's no blood that connects you. You're just two people that came together because of marriage. And and Ruth is like, listen, Naomi, it doesn't matter what happens. We've gone through hell together already. We've lost everything already. I'm sticking with you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you die, I will die. She is pouring her heart out here to Naomi. We'll see here in a minute the picture that we're going to have here through Ruth. But I just want you to catch the depth of the seriousness of her words to Naomi. So in verse 19, they get into Bethlehem. After that, it's quiet the rest of the way. And so they, too, they went and came into Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to uh, the city, they come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi. Remember what I said a minute ago about how Naomi was not even recognizing herself? Not only did she not recognize herself, the uh, the people that she used to know don't recognize her either. They're like, I think, I think we know you. I think that you used to, is this Naomi? All of the pain and the bitterness and the brokenness and the sin, it had taken a physical toll upon her to where she was, recognizable, but, but not fully. They had to ask, is this, is this Naomi? And then we see the depth of Naomi's sorrow here. And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. Mara meaning bitter. Then she describes her last 10 years She says to her friends here in Bethlehem, she says, I went out full and the Lord brought me home again, empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, which blessed, joyful, seeing that the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me. She's with her friends again and her friends didn't recognize her. And she said, I know you don't recognize me and I'm not the same person I was when I left. I'm completely different. Life had just beat her down. And she was at a place where her heart, she admitted openly, I'm just bitter, I'm upset. And I don't want anything to do with joy, happiness, success, blessedness. I am just bitter. And we're gonna see something about Naomi in just a minute, but I want you to see this, and this is the application today. I want you to see this about God. Three things, you can write these down. Number one, I want you to see this. I want you to see that Naomi recognized God as the Almighty, even in her struggle. The Almighty is the word that she used. She says, the Almighty hath afflicted me. The Almighty hath dealt terribly with me. That word Almighty is the name of God, El Shaddai. That name, that means that God is all-powerful and omnipotent over all. He is a mighty God. You might read this story I know I did this week and be a little depressed. You might read this story I know like I did and was like, Lord, I, I know you're leading me to this passage, but I'm not, I'm not sure what, what it is you want me to get out of it. And as I looked and I saw her words and she says, the almighty hath dealt with me bitterly. I see the fact that even though her sin had taken her so far away from Christ, she realized the almighty power of God. And listen, my friend, this morning, I don't care where you are in your life. I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care where you land this morning and all of these things that we've talked about emotionally, God is mighty and God is mighty enough to take care of the problems that you're facing today. You might read through this story and resonate with a character and you might think, I am like them, I have lost everything. My marriage failed, my bank account's low, my parents are gone, my health is failing, I've lost it all, I, I am no longer where I used to be. Can I tell you this morning, God is mighty. He is the almighty God. This word was used in the book of Job. You know the story of Job, those of you that do. Job was the man who said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was the man who, when the devil went out, we talked about it last week, when the devil went out and said, look, I'd love to look at your servant Job, God said, fine, I'll take my hand off of him. And the devil tempted Job and devil sent devastation to Job's house and he lost everything. But yet in that same chapter, where he lost everything, he recognizes the Almighty, the El Shaddai, the fact that God is in control because he is all-powerful. And just like in Job, that he was all-powerful, he's all-powerful today, and he's doing a work in our lives. Man, we live in difficult times, don't we? We live in such brokenness in our society. Elaine and I were talking this week, we were thinking about some of the past days and we have just moved into our house and you know when you move you unpack everything and there was this little um there was this little uh, what do you call a candle stand that we had packed away and somebody gave it to us for our wedding i hope you're not watching um it, it said richard and elena and our wedding date on it and you know on your wedding day you're like oh that's so great And now i'm like nobody cares <laughs> And so I'm looking at this and she's like, you want to get rid of it? I'm like, well, somebody, yeah, like, we'll just get rid of it, right? And I'm like, it's a long, it's like a lifetime ago. It seems like it was just a few years, but it's, it seems like a lifetime ago. So we should get rid of it. So I started thinking about the past and man, I thought about how much simpler it was. Just 2015 was so much simpler than 2023, wasn't it? Man, our world's a mess. And this week we saw things unfold in our in our political uh, arena, if you will, and the Christians, they're encouraged right now, and we should be. There's a man now in our our office, the Speaker of the House, a Christian man, praying on the House floor, bringing his Bible. It's a great thing, right? But yet, so much greater than a guy leading a bunch of other sinners trying to fix our country, is the Almighty, amen? So much greater than your ability to fix your marriage is the Almighty's ability. So much greater than your ability to find the right doctor to take care of your problem is the Almighty's ability to heal you. So much greater than your ability to be disciplined in your savings is the Almighty's ability to bless you. God is a mighty God. And through this story of Ruth, over and over and over again, even in the first chapter, God protects this family He has a hedge around them. Did they go through difficulty? Yes. Did they go through loss? Yes. But yet Naomi was God's person that he was like, I'm going to keep her. I'm going to use her. I know she's bitter. I know she's at a low point, but I'm mighty, Naomi. I want you to see that. I'm never going to leave you. Not only do you see that God is almighty. Number two, see this this morning, that God is faithful. God is faithful. There was time and time again in our story this morning as we unpack all of the different events that, look, Bethlehem was in famine, yes, but God was gonna bring them out of it. Elimelech went to a land where he should have never been, but yet God kept him safe. Did he lose his life? Sure, but at least he had a place for his family to sleep. God was faithful in those 10 years that he gave Malon and Shilion to Naomi to be able to raise them and to be able to give them these two daughters-in-law to be able to help her in, his, in their life. God was faithful as he brings them back from Moab, back to Bethlehem. God was faithful even in dealing with Naomi to where he takes her to a place of total brokenness, but yet she still is able to recognize the Almighty in all of it. He's there with Naomi, and he's there with us today. We serve a faithful God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Through famine, he never changes. Through war, he never changes. Through difficulty and heartbreak and cancer and all of it, he never changes. We serve a mighty God, we serve a faithful God. Number three, look at this, we serve a loving God. We serve a loving God. That oration we read of Ruth. Have you ever been at a place in your life where you just needed a friend? Oh man, I've been there many times. And a loving God sent a daughter in law to encourage her mother in law. Can I tell you this? You will oftentimes find a loving God in the most unexpected places in your life. And it often will show up when you're not even looking for it. In your own life, you often are like Naomi, and it just seems like nothing can go right. You just finished a trial and now you're in another one. You just got healthy and now your spouse is sick. You just buried your father or your mother, and now your spouse might also be on the brink of death. And when you just think you're going to get out of something, something else happens. This is the way of life. And if we're not careful, church, listen to me this morning, please. If we're not careful, we can get like Naomi very easily. And we can look at people and be like, you know what? I used to be happy, but forget it. I'm just bitter. I don't find joy in anything. I don't find happiness in anything. I don't find greatness in anything. Oh, somebody got saved at the church. That's great. Oh, the church sent another missionary out. That's great. Oh, you got an A on your test, man. That's great. And we lose our joy because you know why? We forget that we have a loving God. And a loving God doesn't do things to his children out of spite, out of meanness to make them better. No, a loving God does things to his children to bring them to a place where they're better. But also a loving God gives us a will to choose, right? There used to be this thing we said when I was younger. Our youth pastor, if he said it once, he probably said it every time we got together. He would say, Did you choose joy this week? And I would say, yes, Pastor Willard, I chose joy this week. That's great, man. And I thought to myself, I never understood why, why did he do that? Why did he ask me, did you choose joy this week? Because truly, the response we have is a choice. We can choose to follow a loving God, or we can choose to follow our circumstances. We can choose to recognize a loving God in our heartbreak or we can choose to recognize the fact that this didn't make me feel great and dwell on that. We can choose to recognize a loving God in a situation that does not have answers. And and look at this and say to yourself, at least Christ loves me, died for me, rose again for me, and we serve a mighty God too. So he's also in charge of this situation in that moment where we realize that God is love. God is everything. God is loving you enough to walk with you through something. It changes the perspective on everything in your life. We serve a mighty God, we serve a faithful God, we serve a loving God. So that's what we see about God through our story, but I want you to see this. I want you to see how we fit into the story and we're almost done here because the characters in our story resonate with us today. They do. Elimelech, some of you are like him. Elimelech is the guy who wants to do everything for his family, he wants to take care of his family, but yet he forgets to consult Christ in his decision making. And so what does he do? He says, my family's in a crisis and my family's in this crisis, I'm gonna figure a way out of the crisis. I've been there, I've been there before. Listen, I I won't park here, but listen, I, I, I talked a little bit about the fact that we just moved into this new home. Totally unexpected thing. Oh, God, I couldn't have orchestrated it on my own ever in my entire life. And I'll tell you this, I never expected five, three, four, five years ago to be living in this little town of Haskins, Ohio. It was all the Lord's doing. But yet I have so many times tried to figure out that problem on my own and I've disappointed myself over and over and over again. It wasn't until one Sunday afternoon when I was driving home and I see a sign that said open house and something just said in my heart, go to that open house. And I go to this open house and this guy sitting in the house, he's gonna sell the house. He asked me what I do for work. I tell him what I do for work. He says to me 12 years ago, I used to coach basketball at that school. I'm a Christian too. And for an hour, we start to talk not about the house, not about finances, not about any of that. Just talk about Jesus. And I went home to Elena and I said, I just found our house. And she's like, what? I haven't even seen it. I was like, I know you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And I said, get get some shoes on. I'm going to go take you over there. So I take her down the street. And God just worked it all out in 28 days from the day we offered to the day we closed. That doesn't happen. In today's market, all I saw, can I tell you what all I saw? All I saw was, hey, the bank said, you need this much money in the bank to be able to get this house. Stop everything, save money. The bank says the interest rates goes up, 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 up. I don't know if I'm gonna afford anything. God, I, I, I want good neighbors. God, I want a good neighborhood. God, I want a place to raise my family. I'm just trying to serve you. I want a place to minister to people. And God just gave it to me. You know why? Because he's a loving God. But you know what I do? I try to figure out problems that only he can fix. And you do the same thing. Some of us are a Limelech in this story. Some of us are are like uh, Orpah in this story. Now, I don't think Orpah was a bad character, but here's what I believe she did. I believe that Orpah did her duty. That's what I believe. She's like, I married into this family, so I'm going to stick by you until you tell me I don't have to anymore. And you know what the problem is with doing our duty is that when nobody's there to keep us accountable to our duty, the duty goes away. That's what the problem is. And so when nobody's checking to say, hey, did you read your Bible today? Were you nice to your husband? Were you nice to your wife today? Were you honest with your kids today? Were you honest with your boss today? Did you t- did you clock in when you're supposed to and clock out when you're supposed to? And did you do the work like you were supposed to? And did you love on people today like we were supposed to? If, if we're just doing our duty, the moment that nobody's checking on our our, our due responsibility, it goes away. It's a very weak place to live. It's a place where we won't have influence in this world as Christians. It's a place where people eventually will see right through the fact that you're only doing this because you have to do it. Some of us are like Naomi, and man, we're broken, we're down, we're distraught, we're heartbroken about situations in our life. We look at what we've lost and all we can do is have bitterness in our hearts. We look at the people that have betrayed us, and all we can do is find hate for them. We look at our own decisions, and instead of asking for forgiveness and moving on, we dwell in our decisions and we become bitter people. Can I just tell you this morning, if you have the love of Jesus living inside of you, there should not be any space for bitterness in your heart. There shouldn't. I don't care what's happened to you. I don't care who has said what. I don't care what the circumstance was. If you are harboring bitterness, the love of Christ can't exist there. If you've allowed somebody else to completely steal your joy, then you haven't leaned in to the love of Christ. Oftentimes we're like Naomi and we look at our circumstances and and we try to hedge our bets and we're like, well, I'm I'm gonna tell these people like she did, like don't don't come back with me because at least if I can go back to Bethlehem and just paint my own picture, I don't have to carry the baggage of Moab. And we try to do the same thing in our life. So we make bad decisions or we go someplace we're not supposed to go or we say something we're not supposed to say. So what do we do? We try to fix everything around us to make it like it never happened. And then we try to just go on about our lives and we harbor this bitterness towards the past. But at least least we kind of took care of it along the way. It's a terrible place to live, folks. It's not a place of joy. It's not a place of love. It's not a place of recognizing the faithfulness of God and leaning into the Almighty. It's a place where you're stealing the joy that God promised you. And can I tell you this this morning? It's not only your joy, but it's the joy that God wants you to give to other people. If you've ever met a bitter person, you can tell right away. Just like the people in the story, is this Naomi? If you're trapped in that this morning and you just can't get past what happened to you, Can I tell you this morning, my friend, we're gonna wrap this up in just a moment, but there's a loving God who doesn't want you to stay there. There's a faithful God who will bring you through it. There is a mighty God who has more power than whatever happened to you. He can restore your soul. Look with me at the end of this chapter in verse 22. I want you to see the salvation that God brings here To Naomi and Ruth. Naomi had just told these people that she does not want to be called Naomi, she wants to be called Mara because she's bitter. And in verse 22, it says So Naomi returned to Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter in law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem. Now look at this last phrase. When did they come to Bethlehem? They came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. God changed everything, folks. Remember what happened when they left Bethlehem? What was happening? There was a famine. They had nothing. And now God brings them back at the beginning of harvest when there's about to be abundance in the land. God takes a hopeless and bitter situation, a death after death after death, a land of sin, and he brings her all the way back with an unexpected blessing in Ruth and brings her back to a place and says, look, I'm gonna bring you back, not at the end of the harvest, not in the middle of the harvest, not when there would be some scraps left over for you, Ruth. No, I'm gonna bring you, Ruth and Naomi, back to this place at the beginning of harvest because God the Almighty, God the faithful, God the loving is taking care of his people. And he brought salvation to them in this story. And can I say this to you this morning? If you're here without Christ, he can bring salvation to you as well. Our God, the almighty, the faithful, the loving, didn't just tell old stories in the Old Testament, no. In the New Testament, we read about that exact same God, How he came to this city of Bethlehem that we read about. And in that city of Bethlehem, he was born of a baby. He was born of a virgin. He was raised up a man. And that man lived a sinless life. He never was bitter. He never was angry. He never was mad at people. He always, always, always lived a sinless life. And that perfect sacrifice, the son of God, his name is Jesus, then gave his life, like God said in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're here today without Christ, can I tell you this morning, bitterness is the least of your worries. Addiction is the least of your worries. Problems at work are the least of your worries. Problems in your marriage are the least of your worries. The eternity in heaven needs to be settled today. God says this, that if any man comes unto him, he will in no wise cast out. God never turns away, just like he didn't turn away Ruth, just like he didn't turn away Naomi, God never turns away anyone. And just like Ruth said to Naomi, where you go, I will go, where you stay, I will stay, where you lodge, I will lodge, that's Christ in our life. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, but you can't get there on your own. You've got to accept his free gift the book of Romans, the Bible says, if any man should confess with his mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead, that moment he shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes into the righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. Listen, if you're here without Christ, don't leave today without him, please. We're never promised tomorrow. Salvation, just like in the story, is in Jesus Christ. Now, Christian, listen to me carefully. Where are you this morning in this story? Are you trusting a faithful God, a loving God? Are you trusting the Almighty? Or are you trying to figure out all your circumstances on your own? All your problems on your own? Are you bitter this morning? Or do you have the joy of the Lord? Charlotte Elliot Bingham, she lived in England years ago. She was a bitter woman. Her health was broken and her disability had hardened her. And she said this to her family. She said, if God loved me, he would have not treated me this way. Have we ever thought that before? It's okay to say yes. This is a safe place. If God loved me, he wouldn't treat me this way. So hoping to help her a Swiss minister named Dr. Caesar Malin visited the Elliots in May of 1822. And during dinner Charlotte lost her temper and she railed against God she railed against her family and in this violent outbreak she embarrassed her family and they left the room leaving Charlotte and the Swiss minister sitting at the table together. The minister looks across the table at her and says, "You're tired of yourself, aren't you? Have you ever been there? You look in the mirror and you're like, I'm just tired of this. Why am I like this? Why am I doing this? He says, you're tired of yourself, aren't you? He said, you are holding to your hate and your anger because you have nothing else in the world to cling to. And consequently, Charlotte, you have become sour and bitter and resentful to everything around you. So Charlotte looks him in the eye and says, well, what is the cure, pastor? He answers her very simply, the faith that you were trying to despise. And so as they talked, Charlotte started to soften. She started to listen to what the minister said, and the minister started to explain to her about salvation in Jesus Christ alone. She says this, she said to the minister, if we wanted to become a Christian and to share the peace and the joy that you possess, what would I do? The minister answers and said, you would give yourself to God just as you are right now with your fightings, with your fears, with your hates, with your love, with your pride, and with your shame. Charlotte looks at the man and says, I would come to God just the way that I am right now. And he says, yes. And Charlotte did come to Christ. Several years later, her brother was a man named Henry Elliott, and he became a reverend there in England, and as he was raising funds to be able to build a school for young clergymen, to be able to train them up in the Lord, he asked Charlotte, who was a gifted poet, he said, Charlotte, would you write a poem? Would you write a song? Would you write some words that we could use to help fund this boy's home for clergy? And she started to write these words. She started to write, just as I am without one plea. Oh, that thy blood was shed for me. Oh." that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. And they penned those words in the back of a paper and they sent it out and they started to sell it all over England. And it's one of the most famous traditional hymns that we have today, Just As I Am Without One Plea. A woman like Naomi who started bitter that God changed and then he used her to do something great for the church. Christian, this morning, stop running away from Christ. Just come to God and give him the bitterness, will you? Come to God and give him the problem, will you? Let him figure it out. He's almighty, he's faithful, he's loving. He'll do it way better than you can. If you don't have Jesus this morning, if you don't know that if you were to die today that you would go to heaven, this is for you. Come to Him today. Don't get cleaned up. Don't try to figure everything else out. Don't say, well, let's look at all the other religions and see what what they have first. And then if I like Jesus, I'll come back to Him. No, 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 no. Today's your day of salvation. Just as you are, come to Christ. You just finished listening to a message from the preaching ministry at Monclova Road Baptist Church. If it was a help to you, make sure that you let somebody know about it. If you need help beyond this message, make sure that you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or check out our website, MonclovaBaptist.org, and we would love to connect with you there and help you with anything that you might need. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the Monclova Baptist Church Podcast.